you, he's... You, you, want, you wanted him to just kind of flex his butt cheeks and shit that bullet right back out, right? Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night waste of time Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me is Cecil T. Yo. All right, fine. And also Alex Peanut Butterjowski. Yo. <laughs> I hate you. You know, for that, you've got the Adam and Eve promo. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, you get 50% off a single item. Three free DVDs, free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift for using Drome at adamandeve.com. All right, now, tonight I want to talk about the difference between fun and realism in movies. One's real, one's fun. Catch you next week. What, what type of movie do you like when it comes to realism? Where it's just fun and you don't care that it's realistic? Or do you want something that is essentially a fake documentary? You know, I like both. It really depends on the mood and what the filmmaker wanted. Like, if he wanted something realistic, then I'll appreciate that he was going for something realistic. If the filmmaker wanted something fun, then I'll be in the mood for fun. You know, try to get into whatever fun he wanted to throw at me. Or she, I guess. Sexist. There's no way to do something like 100% authentic and still make it uh, an entertaining movie. There are just little corners that you have to cut and things that you have to do to make things more exciting and more interesting. I mean, how many action movie shootouts would be over in like two seconds because they we'll ran out of We'll be getting to action movies in a little bit. Okay, but I'm just saying I, I personally lean more in favor of things being not realistic in favor of it being more fun as opposed to keeping it realistic and then just sometimes just not working see where i fall is i i kind of fall in the middle between you guys L like alex it depends on what the filmmaker intended sometimes they shoot themselves in the foot with this but when you've got a movie that is for lack of a better term comic booky where it's over the top or it takes place in an alternate reality where physics can operate on a different level than us Fine, but when you've got a movie like, say, a Marked for Death that arguably takes place in the real world, and they just throw physics completely out to go, it's much more fun like this. Or the biggest example would be the Nolan Batman movies, where he is on record saying he wanted these to be the most realistic Batman ever, and yet physics have no meaning in this world. Nobody runs out of bullets. Nobody gets hurt except where the script calls for it. And, and even the real world things like in the Dark Knight. So Batman's beating up on a bunch of criminals and he leaves them for the cops. You realize that would never hold up in court, right? Not only for a chain of evidence issue, but Batman would have to testify. In America, you're not allowed to testify under an alias, so he would have to actually take the cowl off and testify as Bruce Wayne to the actions he did. Plus, he did those actions while in the commission of a crime. On top of that, because of the bat signal being on top of 
Gotham Police Headquarters, he is therefore acting as an agent of the police and violating the law. So how does Nolan get away with saying, I want the most realistic Batman ever, and then going, yeah, but I don't want him to be bogged down by laws or anything like that. It's just he arrests them, they go to, they go to jail. That's where I always get aggravated. Uh, the if if a movie if if they do the movie and it comes out and it has wacky physics or it has obvious things like that where it's like okay he's breaking the law so really these people wouldn't be going to jail. Uh, normally that wouldn't be an issue. It's always when the director or someone involved with the film says those keywords. You know this is the most realistic thing you know ever because then you look at it and it's like you're looking at it from a different perspective because now instead of just looking at it as a movie now you're going to be nitpicking it because it's not realistic and stuff like that happens it happened with gravity recently the director went on and said that everything that happens in the movie is 100% scientifically accurate and then you until people... neil degrasse tyson an actual physicist looked at it and went that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong Exactly. Him and a bunch of guys from NASA watched the movie and said it was the best comedy they had seen all year. And so that's where they shoot themselves in the foot. If they just did the movie, it came out and it was entertaining, then people are more than willing to overlook the fact that eh, they kind of fudge the science here and there. Same thing with something like Batman. They're over willing to overlook the fact that a guy in a giant bat suit beat the hell out of people and they still went to prison and he didn't have to go to court over it. I think you're being ridiculously nitpicky, Josh, because they're movies. But I'll agree with season but, the filmmakers. But, no, I, 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 no, I, I, but Nolan has said he wanted these to be completely realistic. So then shouldn't he have taken into account how the real court system works in cases of vigilantism? That would have been a shitty movie. That would have been the worst Batman movie ever. I would have taken But Batman. it would have been a realistic Batman. Yeah. Yeah, and nobody would have watched it. It would have sucked balls. It would have been the worst Batman movie ever. It's the most realistic, because it's certainly more realistic than previous Batman movies, but it's not, like, 100% accurate, but it is the most realistic. It's the most realistic they can get without sacrificing the story. Because Bruce Wayne courtroom drama, that would be fucking awful. Well, then, what about movies that aren't realistic and aren't trying to portray themselves as such, but then they try and add real-world elements to them that kind of make you go, what was your intention with this? Like Transformers. Clearly doesn't take place in reality. Physics be damned, but to be fair, Michael Bay was basically making a live-action cartoon. Okay, and then they throw in 9-11 and government conspiracies, and, they, and then they throw in all this, we need to keep this quiet, and you just kind of go, okay, you kind of abandoned the cartoon thing, but then you have giant robots dangling balls beating each other's beating each other up over buildings. Pick a, are you realistic or not? I think the dangly ball robots are no crazier than some of the government conspiracies about 9-11. It keeps the film kind of grounded to where you can relate with it. It's not complete science fiction that you're just going to just not even just acknowledged as like a comic i mean it gives it some sort of grounding to the real world that you can connect to the movie yes the movie is fantasy and you're going to accept the fact that okay there's giant robots here mentioning real world events places in the real world it connects you a bit more to it it gets you a bit more involved in the movie i guess i would say yeah i don't think 
by using real world events, that doesn't automatically just drag it into realism. That just drags it into having a point of reference, having something that we're all familiar with. So by using the government conspiracy angle and the whole 9-11 thing, then they can just kind of tie that in with the robots. And I mean, sure, it's silly, maybe uh, a little disrespectful to tie in 9-11 with, with robots, but it, who care? I mean, it's it's uh, at the end of the day, it's a movie and it's just another storytelling device. So I don't think that that's really quite the same thing. Well, then what about when you have in this one, the one I'm going to bring up now happens more in television than it does in movies, but movies do it, too. When you have the the one prevailing image of whatever a job or type of action is being so unrealistic that when people encounter the real thing, they're completely unprepared. For instance, you watch like a law and order and then you actually go to a real court case or talk to a real cop like you were pointing out about gravity. They go, those things are comedies. And, and so many people think, I mean, seriously, a friend of mine is a cop, and he outright said, you cannot believe how many people think when they get arrested, they can pull all the stuff that they see on Law and & Order and the practice, because they've seen it on TV so often that they think that's how the court system really works. Doesn't that do a disservice to the audience when you just perpetuate the fun or more interesting storytelling over realism? Even with like CSI, after CSI became a huge hit in 2000, schools were just inundated with people taking criminal science courses. And then they had a mass dropout a year later when people were like, this is nothing like the TV show. This is boring. Does that do a disservice to the audience to not be realistic or to keep perpetuating this fantasy world? It's kind of a combination of two things. It's the first thing is it's just TV shows being lazy where uh, they'll perpetuate the same thing over and over again. There was a video on YouTube somebody did a while ago that was the whole enhance where they would have an image and no matter where it was, it would I'm be sorry, you cannot add resolution that's not there. Exactly. You know, you can't take the reflection off of somebody's glasses and enhance it and be able to get this crystal clear image. So and it was just done like to death where they showed, you know, Lost and CSI and all these shows that were just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, I think that from that, it was just shows being lazy with their writing where it's like, oh, well, we need a way to kind of move the story forward. Uh, let's figure out a way where they see a reflection off a mirror, they enhance it, da, 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 they find the criminal. So there's that. And the other part to that is just the general stupidity of people that see that and think that that's the way that it is. When in actuality, any job that you have, whenever they show it on television or show it in a movie, it's going to be altered to some degree, whether it be somebody working as an IT guy or somebody working as a, a crime scene investigator or a cop. It's always going to be modified to a certain degree to kind of speed things along. You know, they're not going to show it the way that it is. I mean, remember the, the friggin' TV show Quincy. Uh, Quincy was a coroner. And he's investigating crimes. And interrogating and, suspects. And interrogating suspects. And it's like, that's not what a coroner does. 
Well, but so and, you know, but you've also got like I know Alex is ready to throw in my face. You, what you're asking for is then documentaries. No, I'm not. Look, look at like any typical Law and Order, especially Special Victims Unit episode, or any of the myriad knockoffs of that. They'll have like, okay, we know this pedophile is here. Let's get the search warrant. They've got the search warrant. They take his DNA, and all within the same day, they've got his DNA results. It matches the the semen sample that they took, and they got the warrant. No, that's going to be a week-long process to get the warrant, another few months to get the DNA results. You could still do that by just going, it's not the same day. Hey, we got the warrant. It's next week. Hey, the DNA results came back. And now they're a match. But they're lazy, and they go, no, all this is possible in the same day. Not to mention the fact that they're, like, on trial the next day, when really that's, that's – you've got your pre-hearing, you know, and then two months later, you know, appearance of counsel and another two months. That would be a horrible TV show if it was realistic. Yes, I, disagree, I disagree with that. That's that why would be I, a terrible That's, that's why, show. like, I watch Forensic Files because, you know, it's real. Yeah, it's also a documentary. It's a convenience that's used, and it moves the story along much faster because those shows are based on entertainment. And if people think the real world is how they how it's seen on TV, that's their problem. That's not the fault of whoever made the TV show or the movie. If somebody thought that that was really what was accurate, you know, and there's, there's a lot of those conveniences or tropes. Like, there's still movies where people just go to an orphanage and get a kid. You know, if we know for a 30s. fact, no, oh, that movie Orphan, that was a modern movie, and they went to an orphanage and picked up a kid in the same day. It's It, it depends on the show. You know, sometimes uh, they can do it and do it procedurally correct, and it'll be interesting and good. And other times they do kind of need to speed things along. So I guess it kind of depends on what you're watching. I think it can be done right both ways. Because the way I look at it is you can tell an unrealistic story, but... And you can tell it in an unrealistic way if you're just going for the fun angle, like a live-action comic book. But look at something like a zombie movie. You've got – because, you know, a zombie is unrealistic. But then you've got like a Night of the Living Dead, which is told in an almost starkly realistic manner, telling an unrealistic story. And then you've got something like – and I did enjoy the movie – but like the Dawn of the Dead remake, which is an unrealistic story told in a shockingly comic book and unrealistic way. What do you think causes causes the schism between realism and unrealism when it comes to telling what is clearly a fanciful story? Where, where do you think that divide happens, especially using the example I just gave of Night and Dawn? That divide happens in the director's head when he's, you know, on the writer as well, when they decide, okay, this is how we're going to tell this story. You know, it's a case-by-case basis. It's the, the artist's decision to tell the story how they want to. If they want it to be 100% realistic and that's how they're going to do it, or if they want to have some fun and make it fanciful, then that's how they're going to do it. It's really their decision is what that line is. Yeah, it, it basically, like Alex said, it comes down to what story are they trying to tell. The story was written and it was kind of intended to be a little more erring in the favor of realism. Well, then they're going to go the Night of the Living Dead kind of way versus something a little bit more ridiculous and more, for lack of a better term, cartoony. The the Dawn of the Dead way, they'll try to make it a little bit more over the top, more ridiculous. So it just comes down to what story they're trying to tell. 
Well, and then you even have Kevin Daly, Alex and I have you talked about this a lot on Geek Juice Radio. You have real world physics and action movie physics. Why do you think action movie physics actually took off the way they did? I mean, yes, obviously you need a character that can take a whole, you know, your hero needs to be able to take a bunch of punches and fall off of a car. But then why do you think the hero is immune when the villains are not? Like when they throw a henchman off the roof and they land on a car, they die. When the hero gets thrown off of a roof and lands on a car, he wipes himself off and is like, son of a bitch, you're going to pay for that. Did you ever headbutt somebody? Yes, it, it fucking hurts. It hurts really bad. And yet you get people like Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, they headbutt people left and right. Like, there's no tomorrow, and they're fine. But the person who they headbutted, oh, man, they cracked their skull open. It's just, I, I like the indestructible, quote-unquote, action hero. I want my hero to go out there and and get in these giant gunfights and slaughter an entire building of people and then maybe towards the end the big bad villain puts a bullet in them and then they're somewhat wounded for the final showdown but i i don't know i've always enjoyed the just larger than life uh action hero but i mean if you look at something like die hard they did kind of dial it back to the point of where he gets hurt he gets you know messed up he goes one-on-one with almost all the criminals. But then again, Carl gets shot and hung and somehow, again, defying physics, undoes himself from the chain, undoes himself from a broken neck, slips past all the police just so Carl Winslow can shoot him. Well, again, action movie. <laughs> it's, it's not completely taking place in our reality. It's meant to be a big moment for Carl Winslow to come back in. oh well he's got his gun now uh you know uh, detective al was it detective al pal or carl winslow well it's carl winslow yes but it's al powell in the movie that is not in family matters but it made for a big moment at the end of the film where he does finally kind of pay back bruce willis for you know everything that he's gone through and it, eh, it was it was a great moment come on but anyway it, they should be a mixture of indestructible hero and vulnerable, depending on, again, with uh, what kind of movie they're making. But I prefer the indestructible one. The indestructible hero is a lot more fun. I mean, people are watching an action movie because they would like to have fun. They want to get into the thrill of it. And it's kind of hard to do that personification that um, where you feel yourself as the hero and that hero's just getting worn out and getting hurt all the time like a normal person. Well, no, I, I would argue, look at go back to Above the Law. Seagal gets his ass beat in that movie numerous times, but you're still rooting for him. It's much more realistic than, and as much as I loved Mark for Death, until the final fight with the first Screwface, he, he, he doesn't get hit. He, he's basically a superhero in that. I like the Above the Law Seagal better when it makes him seem more vulnerable and it gives you the maybe he won't come out of this unscathed, not, oh, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando who never runs out of bullets and is just completely indestructible. I prefer the Above the Law. I prefer the Mark for Death, so, you know, the, the hero that never gets hit or, you know, if they get hit, they just shrug it off and keep going because... A, it moves the story along a lot faster rather than somebody sitting there and going, ouch, forever. Because that would just make a terrible action movie if 
your hero is can human. One of my favorites in action movies is the partner gets shot, and they and they're like, "Go on, go on without me." Have you ever been around anyone who's been shot? My brother's been shot. They don't go go on without me. They go. They just get me to the hospital now. Yeah, that would be a horror. That would just take the the action in the movie and the story and just grind it to a halt when you have something to ah help I'm shot for you know well, they until they get as, an ambulance. They say it as Nancy Boy as you just did. Uh, yeah, that's how they would say it, man. They got shot. They don't care how they're saying it. Oh wait, I got man up for this bullet. No. For the record, um, Mark for Death <laughs> is probably my favorite Seagal movie. Oh, so. yeah, it's mine too. I just, when I'm talking about the realism aspect, he was a goddamn superhero in that. He was actually almost a real guy in Above the Law. Yeah, but Mark for Death was awesome. <laughs> so, Cecil, I like Above the Cecil. Law, yes. One thought he was invincible, the other thought he could fly. They were both wrong. Awesome. Nice Christian Bale impression, Josh. Shut up. <laughs> the I was squinting, too. <laughs> yeah, and you gotta do the little sissy run, and he does. I recently was watching the um, 1990 Albert Pyun Captain America. Early on in the movie, Steve Rogers gets shot. Being Captain America, you're like, oh, you know, he's going to uh, get up and fight. And instead, he goes to the hospital. And he's in the hospital for a little while before he gets out and goes and fights the Nazis. Made it more realistic because it's like, OK, well, this guy is a super soldier, but he's not invincible. But then on the same token, you're like, but I, I wanted my super soldier to be invincible. Like, if you see the newer Captain America, you, he's... You, you, want, you wanted him to just kind of flex his butt cheeks and shit that bullet right back out, right? Pretty much, you know, and shoot one of the bad guys with the bullet. I mean, but instead, they, they went more realistic angle, and he was hurt. And it did kind of detract from it a little bit, because you're like, oh, well... He's just a regular guy. Like, you wanted a super soldier. You, I mean, it's still... Uh, I know I'm in the minority. I, I, I would say the thing that, that detracted from that movie was when Captain America stole a little girl's bicycle and was driving it down the street. He didn't steal it. He threw money at them, and he <laughs> took the bike, and he put the... They put the girl on the head uh, on the handlebars and rode down the, the street. So, so if I go and hotwire your car and throw a few hundred bucks at you, it's not theft, right? Uh, well, look, if you throw a few thousand at me, maybe. But I mean, it was a, it was a bike, and it was in a third world country. So, or no, it was a third world country. It was Italy, but it was they, okay. They on record, of... Cecil thinks Italy is a third world country. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was uh, it made for a humorous moment. But um, emasculating is more like it. But fine. Eh. What? What for? For Cap? Oh, uh, for Cap. Eh, well, the whole movie is kind of silly in that aspect. Like they they decided to make it a more realistic version, and the studio was kind of fighting them about that. But it's a whole other thing. But um, so I I I like the indestructible guy. Going back on that. What about, uh, sticking with action movies, action movie physics? Have you ever seen Outland, either of you? The Sean Connery movie? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've seen it. At the, at the beginning of Outland, they're working on one of, uh, I think they're working on Io, on the, the moon of Io. And guy gets a tear in his suit and just goes <laughs> into his helmet. And I remember just, I mean, even from 1980, 
you go and read any Cinema Fantastique, Starlog, or whatnot, every one of them goes, that's not how explosive decompression works. So why do you think they would choose to go for that? Do you think it was just for the shock value of, oh my god, he just exploded into his suit? Or because you knew you were going to grab the ire of every science fiction fan that goes, that's not how that works! Now, wait a minute. In Mythbusters, they took a uh, an old-timey underwater uh, dive Underwater suit. and outer space decompression are not the same thing. Underwater compression, that would happen. At the okay. bottom of the ocean, you would explode like that. In right. space, you would not. Right. In space, it's, so, yeah, it's, it's so a different... If, it's... If, this, if this were Leviathan or Deep mm-hmm. Star 6, fine. No complaint. This is on the moon of Io. So it's... It was just, hey, look, let's have somebody explode. Um, it made for a cool effect. Uh, I think that that was just, and again, it wasn't saying this is the most realistic outer space movie with Sean Connery ever. It was, hey, here's an outer space movie with Sean Connery, and somebody blows up uh, into their suit, and it makes for a really cool gore effect. I like when people explode in movies. I mean, you so, have. So I take it you really loved Miguel Ferrar's exit in Deep Star Six, huh? Yeah, I like it when people explode. I mean, if you have just somebody goes out in space and just lays there and dies, see, that's going to be boring. Mission to Mars. Oh, yeah. with, uh, okay, Mission, but to, Mission Mars to Mars is was unrealistic, too. But but there's the but, point but where was, Tim Mission Robbins... To was, Mission to Mars was unrealistic on the PG side of making it not gory enough, whereas Outland was unrealistic in the R-rated side of making it too gory. Does that make mm. sense? But Mission to Mars had the scene where... Tim Robbins, I believe, got a cut in his suit, and he, no, he took of, his helmet off. He took his okay. It's been a decade since I've seen the movie, so um, but so that's so basically he kind of drifts off into space, and freezes. I mean, is that freezes as opposed to you know having some sort of explosion or uh, you know anything exciting at all? Because it was a PG movie. Because it was a boring movie. <laughs> it was product placement. The film. But it then, certainly was. But then what? one of the arguably most realistic one, and I can't believe I'm about to praise Paul W.S. Anderson, was Event Horizon. When Jack Noseworthy gets, walks out of the airlock and his, his veins start to pull out of his body and he starts to basically ooze all of his body fluids through his pores and yet he survives because he was out there for, I think, under two minutes, that's realistic space comp- decompression. It's still made for a cool effect. It was a cool effect. I think it was mostly about the eyes tying into the rest of the theme that was going on in the movie, though. But that was more realistic to what would actually happen than an Outland. Yeah, it was a bit more realistic, but it also served the story better to have him live through it, to have it happen in the way that it did. So it was just well written that the realism fit with the story. Well, you you even have, going along that lines... A lot of the misconceptions people have about space are because the movies are so unrealistic. Like the whole, you get a rip in your space suit, you just explode. I hate to say it again, but Titan AE. Remember when, when they held their breath and launched across from one spaceship to another through space? That's realistic. You can actually do that. Yes, it's going to be extremely cold. It's going to be extremely painful. But you don't just explode when when encountering a vacuum. So many people to this day think that space is one of these things that the second you're exposed to it, you're dead. 
You're not. That's not the way it is. Honestly, the radiation will probably kill you before you actually suffocate or freeze. Wasn't Titan AE a cartoon? It was. That's Did you just I... say the cartoon was realistic? It was. Am I am I wrong, Cecil? No. I you know, it was it's kind of funny that they go to a you know, you go to a cartoon for realism. Co-written by Joss Whedon, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that must really hurt you. That hurt. But hey, to be fair, Ben Enold also co-wrote that script. So, you you've got things like that where it's like, yeah, that's that's not how that works. And it just, I think, misinforms the public because they think movies really are like an action movie. Or they're so stupid that, do you guys remember last year when a whole bunch of people in high school thought the Titanic was just a movie and they didn't realize it was a real event? And then when they were being taught about it, they thought it would happen like the movie. There were people actually trying to find the real Jack and Rose. Yeah, I totally blame our public school system for that. People are dumb. <laughs> I mean, it's but you but you don't think the movies, the way they portray things, like I said, Titanic was being portrayed as this is real and what really happened. That's I mean, Cameron is on camera saying that that this is I mean, and he was a stickler for realism to the point where people think it was a fictionalized documentary. Well, the way that the boat sinks and what the boat goes through and all of that, that's realism. That That's realistic. The story itself about Jack and Rose, oh, that's made up. And a normal person can tell the difference between the two. Exactly. Uh, there's just a lot of people that just, they'll take things at face value. They won't look anything beyond that. They won't look at the fact that, oh, well, this is a a story that's added on top of a historical event. So they won't realize that uh, the two are actually separate entities that are taking place within the same movie. They're not looking at it from that way. I think I told you this story before about when I was in the theater uh, watching Apollo 18. There was a, a group full of girls behind us. The, the, and... That's the found footage one with the moon rock monsters, right? Yes, that's the moon spiders where they get okay. your suit and they bite you. Apollo 13, my bad. Thought See, Apollo re- 13 was the yeah the Apollo 13 Apollo, was... Apollo 18 was Moon Spider one yeah Apollo 13 was <laughs> Apollo the... 13 was the prequel <laughs> Apollo 13 was the prequel I, I really would like to think those take place in the same continuity by the way that would be wonderful it would be yeah it would actually make Apollo 18 watchable there was a group of girls behind us that were one of them started crying and she's like I don't think they're gonna make it 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 just it made me chuckle because it's like this is loosely based off of a real event and but here was here were some kids who for all they knew this was a movie so it's uh, i don't know i think that uh, like with alex said I, I blame the public school system for not teaching people properly and you know maybe putting a little more context into certain things especially really big movies like that where you could be like okay this is based off of something that actually happened but what happens within the movie isn't real we really don't have moon rock space spiders yet as far as we have you been on the moon well Uh, i mean you don't know i'm gonna bet i'm gonna bet that that's probably fictionalized and now if it turns out it's not i'll eat crow you'll eat moon spider well uh, no i think a moon spider would eat me (laughs) it certainly would in in defense of apollo 13 though I didn't know if they would make it or not. I mean, I knew the movie was based on a true story, but it was a true story I was not really familiar with. 
And after the movie, I was like, oh, well, I like that. Let me go look at the facts of this now. And then you went, wow, not even close. I went, ah, close enough. Do you think that, that movies that are ridiculous should start taking themselves a little less seriously? Like, say, in the new Transformers movie that comes out this summer. Wouldn't it be funny because they are... Because this one clearly has the Transformers, we know they exist, we know aliens exist, blah, blah, blah. If they have, like, Transformers insurance, like if your car turns into a Transformer, if the AllSpark would touch it or whatever, or if your your building is knocked over by a Transformer, you have an insurance policy for that. Do you think you can get Hulk insurance in the Avengers universe? If Hulk smash your car, is that covered? Or would that be under an act of God? Do you think they should go in that direction, embracing their own ridiculousness? Or keep with this, we're pretending we're realistic even though we're not, kind of thing that the Transformers movies pretend that they're realistic while being giant cartoons. No, they shouldn't. Because I watched the Avengers, I don't give a goddamn if their cars are insured or not. It would completely distract from the story if they filled it up with little things like that. You've never read uh, Damage Incorporated, the comic. It was actually a satirical comic put out by Marvel about the insurance companies and the companies that rebuild buildings after superhero fights in the Marvel Universe. It was, yes, see, it was hilarious, actually. That was a one-off satirical comic. That wasn't, like, incorporated into everything. To where, oh, no, we got to worry about insurance cases now and things like that. Well, in something like The Avengers, Thor's a god. Does that redefine act of God clauses in insurance then? I don't care. I think it would make for a great stinger after the credits. Like everything is all done. They're, you know, the whole place is destroyed. It's a big mess. And then you have a bunch of insurance agents there kind of looking over things or some little jab to that effect. It would be a funny little one-off thing and then they would move on. But to actually... I'm not saying, I'm not saying make it a B plot. I'm just saying mention it or have a little, you know, maybe a, like a running gag or something. It doesn't have to be a full B-plot, but just acknowledge the own ridiculousness that you've established. But the thing is, how many times could they do that? Some A movie could do that once, and it would be funny, and they would move on from that. But then if all the Marvel movies came out, and all of a sudden every movie has the insurance agent or something in there... It just, it would get old and it wouldn't be that great anymore. So it might work like once, possibly twice, but it wouldn't be something that would really be able to continue. So, I mean, for all we know, there might be a movie that does that because it's just something that you know we've missed. So who knows? Well, then you, you also have, when it comes down to the tone, why do you think as the audience, we're, we're, we are more willing to forgive something like like a sci-fi movie, like we're able to forgive Star Wars for having sound in space, but then at the same time, the same nerds who love Star Wars will nitpick Star Trek for having sound in space. Why do you think we're willing to forgive something in one movie that we're not willing to in another, whether it's a sci-fi movie, a horror movie, or anything like that? I'm willing to forgive across the board. As long as it's not somebody saying this is the most realistic thing ever, then fine. They have sound in space. They have fire in space, whatever. If if it doesn't detract from the film, if it's just something else, cool. No problem with it. But I think probably what you're leaning towards is 
why people would have more of a problem with Star Trek versus Star Wars is because Star Wars is more fantasy and Star Trek is based a little bit more in the technological aspects of it. So you're going to have a lot more uh, science nerds and whatnot nitpicking how, uh, how many things they get wrong. Like there's a whole series of books called The Nitpicker's Guide to Trek, and it covers all the Star Trek series and movies and everything. And they pick the little tiniest details. Oh, well, they got this wrong and this wrong. And they make for entertaining reads, but... It's... But to be fair, a lot of times Star Trek, especially the TV shows, do that to themselves. Because you look at every single Star Trek series, tachyons do different things. First of all, none of them do what actual tachyons do. Tachyons in Next Generation can cause the warp core to do this. And then on Voyager, when you insert tachyons into the warp core, it does this. Then on Enterprise, tachyons in the warp core do this. Consistency! It's not that hard. Well, it's the problem of when you have a long-running series, different shows that are being overseen and written by numerous different people. So they do, a lot of times, we'll have a Bible that says, okay, well, this does this and this does that. But, I mean, they do stray from that quite a bit. And uh, it is kind of, it is funny because it's like you said, oh, well, Tachyons do this here, but they don't do that there. There is no consistency. So... It, they do shoot themselves in the foot, but I think in the grand scheme of things, most people just kind of look the other way. Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff for me, I don't care if there's sound in space or explosions. I, I'm with Cecil. It doesn't detract from the movie at all. And I think one of the other reasons that people will nitpick Star Trek or Star Wars is because they have a bias. They're, 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 well, they're, I, it's okay when the stuff I like does it, but when the stuff I don't like does it, I'm going to tear it apart. This next one I'm going to bring up, I know I already know Alex's response because it would be boring your way, but I think there should be a movie that tries this, especially if they try and do it in a witty way, a realistic zombie movie. And I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but hear me out. Something happens. Zombies exist. The actual physics of being dead still apply. So gravity still applies, which means all the blood in a zombie's body, while they're standing up, would would move down to their feet, making them immobile because they would no longer have the strength to be able to walk, even assuming they could normally, because all of the blood is weighing their feet down. Plus the fact then that their tendons would dry out, so their tendons would snap, therefore allowing them complete immobility plus the fact that in zombies especially in walking dead go try and bite somebody see if you can tear a hunk off with your with your mouth it takes a lot of effort yet zombies can basically graze you with their teeth and tear an entire shoulder blade off that i would like to see just for a comedy a realistic zombie movie where all the blood is in their feet they're immobile all their tendons are dried out and they're just sitting there and then People are trying to live in a zombie world like this. I think that would be kind of funny for a short film. Am I wrong? Then go make that short film. Give I me mean, money, as a then. feature, it's like every zombie needs to do this and every movie would be dumb. But if you're just going to do it as a comedic sketch, go do it. But then my question to you is, then why are you willing to accept that, okay, zombies can do this and they can bite your shoulder blade off even though they couldn't when they were human, but... Their blood doesn't pool down to them, and their tendons don't dry up. Why are you willing to accept a certain amount, but then you stop? I'm willing to accept a certain amount, because I would like 
to enjoy the movie. I'd like to give the movie a chance to entertain me. And it never says in a zombie movie that their f- blood is going to pull and all of that. So they c- they're consistent with their zombie reality that, okay, this is what zombies do in this reality and this is what they do. And some of them, zombies run and you accept it in the, the fast zombie movies versus the slow zombies mo- zombie movies. Well, it's not that you're nitpicking zombies, but you kind of said it in your explanation. It would be great for a short, right? It would be funny for a little five, maybe ten minute short. And then we would go back to regular zombie movies, whether it be the running zombie movies or the slow walking shamblers or what have you. Because in the way that you describe them, there would be a limit to how much they could do. All right, well, zombies now have all the blood pool in their feet and they just kind of lie around and don't do anything and they can't bite you. So there's no risk of infection and they can't chase you. It, it would be boring and it would be dumb and it would be funny. But you could make it funny if you wrote it right. Right, but it would be funny for a one-off. They wouldn't be able to do this as like the new version of zombie movies. So if somebody wanted to do that and make a short, or if they figured out a way to make a whole movie out of that thing, go right ahead. It, it might work, it might be great, it might be hilarious, but it's not going to be as exciting or interesting as the current crop of zombies that we've had going on for uh you know ever since well ever since popularized with night yeah the, that version of the the living dead instant that we got in 68 is that what you mean yeah. yes not because i know there's been zombies before that but that was the, they were more voodoo zombies though they were more voodoo zombies like i walked with a zombie and whatnot white but, zombie but Le- freaking lagosi man mm-hmm. white zombie as well but i mean i was just picking you know picking a name so the, the more, mo- you know, well, what we would think of, I guess the more modern zombies would probably be the running zombies. But um, the standard shambling zombie is just the standard go to, you know, interesting way to do a story. So to me, a movie has to be it has to set your the tone early on, like a movie such as Darkman. Darkman sets the tone that. We that this does not take place in the real world, and it's much more comic booky. Therefore, you're much more willing to forgive it. On the other hand, you've got things like The Dark Knight and plenty of the, these dark movies today, even even like one of the Saw movies or something that say this takes place in the real world, and then they go and defy reality anyway and make it unrealistic because they think it's more entertaining. That's where I think they shoot themselves in the foot. If you just want to make a fun, entertaining movie, fine, fair enough, do that. Like Repo Man. Repo Man clearly does not take place in the real world. Whereas, on the other hand, Repo Men pretends that it does. The tone is totally different between those two movies, and yet both of them are about to the same level of unrealism. So does that mean Repo Men has committed more of a cinematic crime than Repo Man did? Well, Repo Men, the the cinematic crime that they did was blatantly rip off Repo the Genetic Opera and then claim that they were an original idea, even though a large portion of it they ripped off. So that's a whole other also, thing also that Also the bullshit plot twist, which they, they set up so bluntly, it was like it was like hitting Jude Law over the head. <laughs> yeah. you see what, did you see what I did there? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, what a pile of oh, i was so annoyed with that movie and i was irritated because i loved repo the genetic opera 
And because they were making uh, Repo men, they more or less forced uh, Repo to go direct to video instead of having a theatrical release, even though it had been around as a play ages before stupid Repo men. Repo Man was freaking hilarious with uh, with Emilio Estevez, and it was just something meant to be silly. And Repo Men, they were trying to do the concept of in the future, you know, we can take back your organs, and this will really happen because the government is evil. It completely missed the spoof that Repo the Genetic Opera was doing. So, which is another reason why Repo Genetic Opera is better. But um, yeah, the tonal difference is much different. So consequently, Repo Man is a better film. And I only connected those two just because of the two that fell into my head. I'm not trying to say that they're connected in any way because they're not. I think you're right about the tone, yes. But about The Dark Knight and those Batman movies, I don't think they're setting out to be absolutely this takes place in the real world. But Nolan keeps using the word realistic. Yeah, they take place in the real-world city of Gotham, because there's there's no Gotham City. So are you calling Nolan a liar about his own film? That he was yeah. not trying to make a realistic movie? No, I'm saying he was trying to have some realism, but it still takes place in a fictional universe. You can bend some rules here and there. Maybe here, in, the... he, here and there, like in the third movie, where any court in the world would allow stock trades literally made under the point of a gun to stand after... After the gun was removed? I don't know. Is Gotham City a real place? Why didn't you check their their municipal laws, see if it's legal there or not? Oh, wait, it's not, because it's fiction. Oh, come on, you know Gotham City is really Detroit. There is one thing that we didn't talk about at all tonight when it comes to realism that I think immediately says we can be both realistic and unrealistic at the same time, and it does go together, and that is when you're doing comedies. For whatever reason, you've got comedies where, like, look at, like, a Porky's movie. Clearly, they're unrealistic, but they portray themselves as being realistic for comedic effect. In cases like comedies, I think you actually have where the playing it as if it were real, while it's clearly not, actually aids the story. Or am I strange in giving comedies a pass on that? Comedies can get a pass because there's nothing funny about the real world. That sounds like a man that's been beaten down. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm i from the camp of if it works, if it's funny, then go for it. If they can find a way to take something uh, and twist it in a way, making uh, a laugh for a realistic or unrealistic purposes, and it works, go right ahead. I mean, comedy is, is a tough nut. And uh, sometimes if, if you go at it from a different angle, or an unexpected angle, then that ends up making it funny. What about satire, then? What about something like Network, where Network is done in a really realistic way, but what happens is so unrealistic, but you don't even notice it at the time, because each unrealistic event moves so realistically from one to the next that it comes across as almost real. Does what I just said make any sense, Alex, you being a big Network fan? Network is totally realistic because it's it's presenting a hypothetical of based on the the direction entertainment's going right now. This is an absolute And this was 76. Yeah, this is absolutely conceivable that this would happen is what the movie is saying. This is what's going to happen if we keep going in this direction. And they were right. It was well-researched and very realistic. Well, Network ended up nailing it because they But at I mean, the time, 
but it at was the time, almost science fiction. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, look at how many things are once considered science fiction that have eventually come to pass. Uh, network, there are a few odds and ends here that uh, just simply because of the way that technology has moved forward, they're not the same. But the overall theme is has come true. I'm not asking for utter realism. I'm not asking for any of that. I'm saying I think Marked for Death is Seagal's best film. I love that. It's one of the best action movies of the 90s, I think. At the same time, it doesn't – it wants to portray itself as almost realistic or taking place in the real world when it's clearly not. That's where I have the problem is when the tone doesn't match. I'm not saying movies have to all be realistic to be good. Clearly they don't. What I'm saying is you have to pick and choose. You're either realistic or you're not. You can't do some things and say, this is how physics works, and then the next thing go, well, now we need the bagoobagoob to be able to do this because we need this to make the physics work. You can't, you can't do that. You can't eat your cake and have it too. Bagoobagoob. That's a new word I'm adding to my daily lexicon for everything now. But no, um, it, as far as realism or you know, having fun, it does depend on the movie. And no movie is ever going to be 100% realistic. There are going to be some liberties taken to move the story along and keep the movie entertaining. And to expect absolute realism from anything that's not a documentary is just being way too nitpicky and demanding. Is uh, a gooba goob and uh, another word from the uh, tribe that was attacking the spaceship in Africa? No, that was a booga 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 booga. That was a booga booga. <laughs> my my final thoughts are simply: I like when a movie aspires to try to have a little bit of realism, as long as they don't try to say that we're doing this as realistic as possible. It's just kind of neat when you see something in a movie and you maybe look up or you hear. A TV show uh, will talk about the science of movies, and you're like, holy crap, they were that actually could happen. It's cool. But for entertainment purposes, be as ridiculous as possible. All right. I think it's completely unrealistic that Alex Jowski is able to run a website, but what is that again? Geekjuicemedia.com. Trachtenberg? Uh, you can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. I'm at geekjuicemedia.com as well, which makes it brutally unrealistic, as well as 1201beyond.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys.
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.